Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And good morning to you on September 9, 2019. Uh, it's a Monday. Feels like a Monday. Uh, I, jeez. I want to stop reacting to... Uh, in a knee-jerk fashion to the latest outrage and that one sees cross, you know, cross your whatever, Twitter feed, email, Facebook, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but this news this morning that uh, hundreds of people had jammed themselves onto a ferry and... Freeport, the Bahamas. Women, children, to be brought to Florida, escaping the the horror that is uh, now the Bahamas, the destruction there. They've lost their homes. God knows how many have lost their lives. And we loaded, apparently, all these people got loaded onto a ferry, and once they're loaded, someone, uh, an announcement comes over the public address system saying that uh, if you don't have a visa, get off. Well, <laughs> Bahamians have never needed a visa to come to the United States. over a hundred of them had to get off the ferry and ended up back <laughs> where they started for want of a visa, which they never thought that they needed. This is not normal. Normally, Bahamians can travel uh, here to the United States with simply a passport and in addition to a passport a printout I guess they need of, uh, of any police record they may have they haven't needed a visa This is supposedly a humanitarian aid operation, right? I guess uh, the Trump administration that is anything but humane in its policies uh, can't be expected to know how to do humanitarian aid. In fact, they're doubling down. They're making it harder for these refugees to get in than they would have before the storm. What in the, how do you how do you mess around with people in this <coughs> at this level of desperation? with what they have gone through in the last week.
you imagine finally getting on board a boat that is at least going to take you to a place where you can be assured of food and shelter and maybe even a, a bath or a shower? And then being told, get off? You need a visa? It's just, you know, it just just keeps coming. It's a... You can't expect an inhumane uh, administration with a fear of brown people and black people coming to its shores to be able to do humanitarian relief in this case that would take these people out of their uh, their island home uh, on an interim kind of a basis. It's just amazing to me. So people with children in their arms were getting off. Incredible. Bob in Braddock wants to know, are you going to mention that the term good morning is only a figure of speech? Well, I often say good morning, and you know, I mean, it's not. It's not! But, of course, uh, for, I guess, Steeler fans, it's a particularly difficult uh, Monday morning after a ignominious uh, defeat at the hands of the those horrible, horrible patriots. I, I must admit, I didn't really watch. Um, and Bob also wants to know, uh, he, he thinks I'm going to talk about Antonio Brown. I am not. Uh, you know, there's one thing I do want to say about Antonio Brown. For those of you who are not following football, Antonio Brown uh, was uh, a stealer for, geez, I don't know what, quite a long time, seven, eight years maybe. He's an extraordinary football player. He is a mess of a human being. And it, he had been dealt to the Raiders. Before the Raiders even took the field this season, he had managed to make so much trouble there that they released him. And uh, he was, of course, snatched up because he's the best by the Patriots. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I, I, I saw some of what was... I, I want to say this about Antonio Brown. My sense, the last time I mentioned his name was when Stan Saverin was here, and I said that I'd had this epiphany that Antonio Brown and Donald Trump have a lot in common, that they are both narcissists with an extraordinary need to, uh, for attention. And, uh, I mean, the only difference is Antonio Brown is good at his job if he just sh shut up and do it. Um, but I want to say that I think Donald Trump and Antonio Brown are 
more like each other in another way. I think they're both mentally ill. Um, I think Antonio Brown is, a, as I said, a mess of a man. And I'm not, I, watching someone like him sort of self-destruct, which is what he's been doing for the last four or five years, watching uh, somebody like him self-destruct does not give me any pleasure. Something's wrong with him. And the piling on of the mob, which would only fuel whatever insanity is, is, uh, is I, I just, I feel sorry for him. I'm sorry. So I don't want to join the mob uh, jumping on uh, AB. Uh, they won't miss me. But I think when somebody is so obviously uh, troubled, it shouldn't, he shouldn't be used in f for the entertainment of others. Unless, of course, he's Donald Trump and the President of the United States. <laughs> but Antonio Brown's just a a young man with a talent and he's had a horrific uh, childhood and I believe he was very damaged from that childhood and for all I know he's further damaged by maybe a concussion or two. Um, it's been noted that a lot of his really unbelievable behavior happened after an extraordinary hit he took from that jerk on the uh, Browns, right? Burdick or something. I don't know. Burfick or I don't know. I think he's hurt. I think he's he's sick. I think he's and I get no pleasure um, using him. I mean, he certainly is doing a, a hell of a job with self abuse. Uh, in many ways. And then I see people tweeting, he says he's a winner because he's at the Patriots. He took, and they talk about the money he lost, that he would have had more money if he'd been able to control himself and stay here, and then he would have had more money if he did this, and that New England's not paying him half of what, whatever. And meanwhile, he's going to get millions and millions no matter where he plays. And I'm thinking, why do people... I mean, these people that equate everything with money. How much? What if a player takes less money and uh, but ends up in a place he wants to be or with a coach he wants to be with? Or why is money... When you're talking about what's the difference between 15 million and 8 million? I know, I can do math. But I mean, they're both a ton of money. And this idea that, oh, he's a loser because he lost this money. Come on, just shut the up. People are so stupid. 
and their value system is so warped. He's a mess. I get no pleasure in it. Speaking of the clown in chief, I, we have said here certainly that we're all living in his reality show, blah, 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 blah. But I have never seen anybody put it more clearly than a guy whose name I can't pronounce, so I can't tell you who said it. I'll smell it for you. He's the um, he's the chief uh, television critic uh, for the New York Times, and his name is James Paniewizik. It's one of them Polish names. God, could Poles have come up with a more impossible kind of an alphabet? P-O-N-I-E-W-O-Z-I-K. Anyway, he has written a book uh, called uh, Audience of One. And it is about Donald Trump and trying to understand this fool that became our president. And this guy points out that the key is always to remember that Donald Trump is not a person. (laughs) He's a television character. And do you know that there's, there's truth in that? Donald Trump is a hollow man. There is nothing there. We know that. There is no capacity. I mean, all the things that we as humans identify as human qualities, he, he clearly doesn't possess. So he is a hollow man. And long ago, he invented himself, Donald Trump, as this character. And it was, of course, producer Mark Burnett who brought us the first real uh, reality show, Survivor, and then went on to see a clear reality show character in Donald Trump and gave him a show of his own, The Apprentice. And that is what brought Donald Trump, the character, into the American consciousness big time And the Donald Trump who Americans elected is the Donald Trump television character. They fell for the character, not the reality. The character was this hugely successful billionaire, made snap decisions, blah, blah, loved to have people fighting for his attention. He's doing the exact same shtick. Only now, the boardroom is the Oval Office. He has been working on this character for a long, long time. In an interview with Playboy, 
1990. They were talking about his yacht. And Trump said, look, this, the yacht, and all my glorious gilded buildings, they're all, here's, here's Trump, quote, they're all props for the show. The show is Trump, and it is sold-out performances everywhere. That's 1990. We have a television character as President of the United States of America. So this New York Times TV critic says, so if you want to understand what this president will do in any situation, then the most helpful question you can ask yourself is, what would television do? What would TV want? Listen to the television critic. It wants conflict. It wants excitement. If there is something that can blow up, it wants it to blow up. It wants a fight. It wants more. It is always wanting more and is never full. Television is insatiable. And if you think about how the cable television stations were used by Trump and used him, it's because they're both in the same game. They both knew the game. And they were made for each other. That's why CNN covered absolutely every move candidate Trump made, every speech he gave. Didn't do the same for the Democratic candidate. Because she wasn't a television character. Here's a TV character running for president. You can't take the camera off him because you don't know what's going to happen next. Reality TV has a certain, I mean, for those of you who watch these kinds of shows, you know that there is a different kind of order to it than the real world. As I mean, the funny thing about real reality TV is, of course, it's unreal. It's usually law of the jungle, right? One guy wins. So if you're in a reality TV show, human qualities like empathy will get you killed or kicked off. <laughs> you can't operate that way. Trump is the perfect reality TV character. The perfect reality show character does not 
waste time trying to understand anything. If you bother trying to understand anything, you you just look at people and events as obstacles that you have to get around in some way. To try to imagine, he says, what it is like to be a person other than yourself is something that we call empathy. That, in reality TV, is a serious liability. It is a distraction. It is weakness. Let me just read some of what this guy says. Because if you want to look at how we got this guy, you can uh, draw the line back to the producer of Survivor, Mark Burnett. Because he knew America and its TV audience America would love Trump in the boardroom. But you know what? And here's what some people don't know, because listening to Trump, it was the most successful show ever. Yeah, it had 14 seasons, which is a successful show. But the ratings dropped after the first season. And by season four, they were just half of what they had been in the first season. So a lot of Americans took a look at Donald Trump, and they retched <laughs> and turned it off. But enough stayed and loved it. When the numbers started going down, Trump reacted by doing what had always worked for him before, doubling down, becoming more so, becoming louder, more extreme, more abrasive. And this guy went back and looked at the whole 14 seasons, and he says Trump gets more and more ugly, nasty, brutal as each season goes on. And he says, and you know what? It's a pattern that we are seeing now. As he advances to his re-election campaign, with an eye not now on ratings, but on the polls, the only solution for any given problem with this guy is to be a Trumpier Trump. When his final season ended, it took only four months until he announced he'd run for president. For four months, he was not, didn't have a show. Couldn't bear it. So he came down that escalator and started it up. And in fact, the show has never stopped. Now we are in it. We really are. And as the TV critic says, he's broken the fourth wall because we all live inside his show now. The whole world lives inside his show now. And now he recreates the boardroom's 
atmosphere every time he opens his mouth or his Twitter app. He walks out to the lawn in the morning and reporters gaggle around him like apprentice contestants awaiting the day's task. He rails and complains and establishes the plot points for that day's episode. Greenland! Jews! I am the chosen one! And then cable news, morning and mid to midnight, happily chew on the fresh batch of outrages before memory wiping itself to prepare for tomorrow's episode. The New York Times reported that before Trump took office, he told his aides to think of every day, here are Trump's words, as an episode in a television show in which I vanquish my rivals. So, when he's taking on Deborah Messing, when he's taking on The Squad, when he's taking on John Legend and his wife, when he's doing that, he's just doing what the character has to keep doing, which is picking fights and vanquishing these people. It's the show, and the show must go on. He has been playing this character, he has been playing himself instinctually as a character since the 1980s. And by doing that, it has allowed him to maintain a really high profile, even though he's been a washout as a businessman. Bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy. He is governed not by the truisms of politics, but by the imperatives of reality TV. Never de-escalate. Never turn the volume down. And this dovetails with his mentor's advice to him, the execrable, is that the word? Roy Cohn, a despair human being, sort of like a Stephen Miller character. They even look alike. And Roy Cohn told his little mentee, Donald, always attack and never apologize. Never apologize, and that's how we get the weather map. You can't make it up, no, because it's a TV show. It's reality TV. It's hard to acknowledge and admit that that's what we've come to. As ex we're now extras in his fucking horrible show, his nightmare of a show. The taunting, the insults, the dog whistles, the dog bullhorns, 
the locker up and send her back. All of this follows reality television rules. Every season has to top the last. And for that, we better be rightfully concerned. Every fight is necessary. Every twist must be more shocking. Every conflict more vicious. The only difference now is that Mark Burnett, the producer, is no longer around to try to edit things. Can't. It's happening in real time now. You don't have a producer to edit things and try to make some logical sense of it all. So this is something we do have to keep in mind. This guy's got it right. He's got it right. This is what we've come to. And that is why I have said that um, he is the perfect president for this country at this time. Because in many ways, he does represent the coarseness, the stupidity, the vulgarity, the entertainment-obsessed culture, celebrity-obsessed culture that we have created. Some. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello. 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 Uh, I, <laughs> I was thinking one way to uh, to kill uh, the show with Mr. Trump might be to just the thing that he hates most is to stop paying attention. So the less ratings he has, uh, he'll still keep his good ratings on the right end of the spectrum, but of, I think the watching of the NBC and the obsessive MSNBC and all that, you know, I don't think that's particularly helpful either. I don't know who the hell cares what he's doing at this point. <laughs> well, uh, it's like I mean, he's the he's so powerful. He's the president. So I mean, it does behoove right. us to care and pay attention, and especially not, I mean, be aware you know, though of how he is. In He's no way a normal anything. president, huh? It's no way a normal president. The only thing he has accomplished is, or I mean, it's you can. I, in my opinion, it's more of a Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell accomplishment. These court appointments, mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, like he's changing some rules that the next president can change back, and like you know, he can't. None of these other things. He can't end the war in Afghanistan. He didn't do anything in North Korea. He's done nothing in Iran except for make it worse. The guy isn't really doing anything. It's like there's nothing 
to pay attention to because he's not like it's okay look at the headline there's no substance behind anything that he's doing but he's destroying he's destroying things because if there's one thing he's always been able to do it's destruction and right but the thing that he despises if you want to piss him off well that's right is pay no attention but (laughs) But, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Okay, well, I, I have no problem with that, and I, I also agree. We need to, uh, I do not think we should be watching uh, CNN or MSNBC any more than like a half hour to one hour a day if you have to. Pick an hour. That's it, because people who keep I- those things on all the time are... First of all, I mean, just hearing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, but they're making themselves crazy in the process. And you're also yeah. right, paying attention to the show. I, I get most of my update from listening to you, but to be honest, if you tomorrow said you weren't going to talk about him ever again, I mean, usually I have to, I, just, I don't mean this to sound like criticism, your show is usually a little bit more interesting when you're not talking about him, but, but I still am a daily listener, so... Uh, I just like it's the well, same okay, thing. so the update is, and this should suffice for any day, it's still a shit show, okay, yeah, and it's worse than it was the day before, but that like is correct. it's just I don't know, okay, and now we've got like what's his face in England to be pretty much doing the same kind of stuff, yeah. so maybe we can just read watch b b c instead, <laughs> all righty, hey, thank right. you, thank, thank you. you, have bye. a good day, bye, bye, yeah. Hey, here's something that's not Trump-related. Do you remember, it has to be a few months ago, I told you the story of the rooster <laughs> in France? You remember the story of the rooster in France? Uh, he's in this little village, a fishing village somewhere, and some city folk you know, would come to f- for you know vacations, to this picturesque little village. And one couple who came bought a little cabin there, summer home, brought a, a suit against this rooster, or probably the owner of the rooster, because they said they were unable to enjoy their summer home because the rooster would make noise. His name was Maurice. Maurice the rooster would uh, do what roosters do, would greet the sunrise with his song. And this case created a real hullabaloo. I can't believe it took this long, but I finally I have an update. And I don't think it's surprising. Maurice has prevailed. Maurice is allowed to be a rooster. No penalty. A French judge so ruled Thursday. Maurice, the judge said, is not a nuisance. He's a rooster. The judge said this rooster was not being unbearable. He was just being himself. (coughs) Maurice has been awarded 
$1,100 in damages. Equivalent. The rooster got a, over $1,000. I love it. Um, neighbors staunchly had defended Maurice. The mayor had even passed an ordinance protecting Maurice's rights. And now the French courts have ruled and Maurice is free to be what he is. A rooster. So that's one for the natural world. That's one win for reality. Thank you very much. Oh, I've got something here. This is my... Um, This is my uh, obit of the day, of the week. Marita Lorenz. Her life, she died at the, she's dead. Her life's over. It's done. It uh, lasted 80 years. And in its 80 years, this woman lived a story book that you wouldn't, that sounds unbelievable. And some people say some of it is, but no one's clear what is and what isn't. A lot of it is verifiable. This is weird. She, is the, she was the daughter of an American actress, and she and her mother ended up in a concentration camp. Right there. That's weird. Wait a minute. There was an American actress? in a concentration camp? And she had a child? Yeah. She was interned as a child in a concentration camp with her actress mother and her father was a German who was a U-boat commander. Actually, he commanded the fleet Right there. I mean, it's like, what? What? Okay, so an American actress ends up in Germany. She marries this, who turns out to be really high up in the Navy, commanding fleets of U-boats during the World War II. Somehow the actress, though, gets herself in trouble, probably because she's an American, and ends up with her young daughter in a concentration camp. Let me see if I can get any more. I have to tell you, this obit is so unsatisfying because almost every sentence begs 500 questions and they don't get answered. So I'm just going to, here's what happened when she was born. So she was born uh, in Bremen, Germany in 1939. Two weeks later, World War II breaks out. Her mother, who performed under the name June Paget, 
was on her way to film a movie in France. Okay, wait a minute. In the early 30s. And that's where she met this German she married and fell in love with, Heinrich Friedrich Lorenz, who was the captain of a ship at the time. And here's where they don't, okay, so the war breaks out. She has a daughter by him. Two weeks later, the war breaks out. He goes out to command a fleet of U-boats, and then somehow, and they don't explain why, this American actress married to the Nazi U-boat commander rescues two Allied soldiers and gets recruited into the French underground. And so it was while she's serving in the French underground, undermining her husband's war efforts with her own war efforts, that she was captured by the Germans and sent to a concentration camp with her five-year-old daughter, Marita. They sent her to Bergen-Belsen. That's not a as concentration camps go. That is not not a good one. But if you do the math, the war would have been almost getting to a close, and so somehow they survived. And explain this to me. It says here after the war. The family moved to New York City. Now, wait a minute. The Nazi captain and the, the, his wife, who actively fought, both fought on different sides in that war, they get, she gets out of the concentration camp, gets back together with the U-boat friggin' captain, and they come to New York? This is all verifiable, but I mean, as I said, begs a million questions. It says here that her mother, the actress, went to work for American intelligence. And her father, the Nazi U-boat fleet commander, became captain of an ocean liner called Berlin. The kid, Marita, went to school, but quit after the ninth grade. Wasn't interested. She ends up on board her father's ocean liner at the age of 19, and it docks in Havana. I'm looking at a picture of her on board the ship with her Nazi father, and there she is, and she's sitting next to guess who? Chomping on a cigar in his fatigues, Fidel Castro. She had an affair with Fidel Castro. 
And here's where things start. People have different stories. Up until that, this is all known. I mean, so I got I got her to Havana Harbor with her Nazi father and her mother working for U.S. intelligence, and it's 1959, and she and Fidel, and she gets pregnant. She claimed that she had become pregnant, but that the fetus at almost full term, was removed from her in Cuba while she was drugged and that the child was taken from her and raised there. It was a boy. The U.S. said to her, since you're so tight with the guy, would you slip some poison into his food for us, please? So she was asked by the uh, CIA to poison Castro. She did not. She liked him. Her daughter later said, my mother changed history. She could have killed Fidel Castro in 1959, and she chose not to. All right, so it gets ridiculous. After her romance with Castro, she goes on and has another big to-do with the Venezuelan generalissimo Marcos Perez Jimenez, who is the one who fathered the daughter. I don't know. She says her son, by Castro, who was named Andre, uh, later became a uh, Cuban pediatrician. This is not known to be, you can't prove it one way or another, as is true of her testimony before a congressional committee after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. She maintained, Marita Lorenz, that she, Frank Sturgis, CIA guy, who was later convicted as one of the Watergate burglars, if that name rings a bell. Okay, so that's getting ahead of it, though. This is Frank Sturgis before Watergate, Marita Lorenz, uh, it's 1963, and she met with Sturgis and Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby and E. Howard Hunt, another CIA operative who became also a Watergate burglar. She had a detailed account of meeting with these guys on the eve of the assassination. Her account was reported uh, on in 1977 and repeated in testimony around that time before the House Select Committee on Assassinations, 
which also said it could not, they didn't know. So I'm just saying, this woman, are you kidding? By the way, she told Castro that she was supposed to kill him. So she told him about, about the plot. I, what kind of a life is this? I mean, God Almighty. A saga of romances with revolutionaries and murder plots. Jeez. Marita Lorenz, dead at the age of 80. So, I want to talk about Andrew Yang. You know who he is? He's running uh, for the Democratic nomination for president. Um, and he's going to be in the next debate because he keeps making the cut. I want to say that in the debates that I have watched and when I have seen him, he's impressive. I like him. He's smart. I agree with what he's saying. Um, and, I mean, I don't think he's going to get the nomination. But he's somebody I think we should be paying some attention to. Uh, he is the one who is preaching that we are heading into, essentially, another industrial uh, revolution. Well, we're in it. And it's going to be more wrenching than the first. And millions of people are going to lose jobs. And he says that this is a problem that if we had political leadership it would be addressing because you don't hear the other candidates talking about about this and what the hell we're going to do about it um so he's he's talking to people about this fourth industrial revolution and his idea is to make it so that people will be able to find their way through the tumult that will result, the loss of jobs, is number one, you got to have a universal basic income. And this is an idea that is like radical, but it does make sense. His idea is you give a thousand dollars a month to every single American. Now people go nuts about this. But that would provide enough of a a cushion for people to maybe be able to weather the storm. He's actually polling um, 
right behind Buttigieg, and he's polling ahead of Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke. Just saying. So, I don't know. When he when the recession hit, he uh, developed something called Venture for America, which was a nonprofit uh, organization for college graduates that created jobs in underserved cities. He's got a good heart. He wants to somehow help. He saw that that wasn't going to be able to do enough, given the impact of uh, artificial intelligence and corporate greed on um, on American workers. So, I don't know. I think um, he's really worth listening to, and I, 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 he clearly is bright as hell. He's very likable. Uh, speaks incredibly well, like Buttigieg. And these young people, I mean, he's a young guy. These, these are people that I think we need to start listening to. The politicians have let us down over and over and over again. It says here in the New York Times, he preaches the grim gospel of how automation will lead to massive unemployment and how corporate profits are warping our economy. And I think he's got the right picture of what's happening, and I think he's got the beginnings of some measure, palliative measure, to help get people through. Milton says, not sure whatever happened with the production, but according to an article in Vogue in 2016, Jennifer Lawrence was slated to play Marita, Marita Lorenz in a biopic that was to be released in 2017. <coughs> it never happened. So I wonder what happened. Huh. Lawrence wanted uh, to tackle the title role. The Sony it was Sony Productions. It was just going to be called Marita, which tells the story of Fidel Castro's German-born lover, who was later tapped to assassinate him. The film uh, was written by the co-writer of American Hustle. Wow, I mean that's got some impressive uh, heavy hitters there, but it didn't uh, didn't happen. A tough business, Hollywood. I think it's an amazing story. I mean, obviously. Jeez. <coughs> oh God. I just want to say that the other thing I found most frightening of all the horror that happened over the weekend was was after Trump drew on the map, which I mean, it's, it's a kind of a lie. It's so badly done. 
that, I mean, if you were going to alter a map, why would you do it like that, which is so clearly an altered map? I mean, no effort made. It's like a child. But what sent chills through me was when the head of Noah, the, what does Noah stand for? National Oceanic Atmospheric <laughs> Administration. What is it? I'm looking if it's anywhere here in this article that I see. I don't, I don't know. It's something like that, right? It's the, uh, oh, it is. I was sort of, hey, I got it right. It's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Now, they, NOAA, um, is, uh, oversees the uh, National Weather Service. And as you know, the National Weather Service is putting out those hurricane maps. That's their job. And that's the map that he adulterated. But I found it chilling that days later, as he's still trying to, you know, again, doing his reality show, never back down, double down, you get caught, doesn't matter, don't admit anything how he, f I'm sure through pressure, forced the head of Noah to be on his side. And so the head of the agency overseeing the National Weather Service actually then contradicted the National Weather Service Birmingham office that pushed back when Trump did what he did and according to the Washington Post, a top NOAA official warned staff against contradicting the president. I find it terrifying. Because we're talking about an agency that is a scientific agency, not a political agency. They deal with facts. So for them to side with Trump adulterating that map, subverts truth <laughs> subverts the public trust subverts reality truth fact so if we now are living in this crazy place where a president can what order the head of a scientific agency to say, to, to alter the facts in a, I, I, I can't even, that's 19 fucking 84. 
you put enough cowards in charge of our government, and this is what you get. And the undercutting of the staff, I cannot even begin to imagine what it's like to work as a scientist or a truth teller or a a sober, clear-headed public servant in this administration and to have people put over you who undermine the mission in service of the president's fragile, sick ego. Okie doke. That'd be it. See you guys tomorrow. Susan will join me. God knows what we'll be talking about. Have a good one. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.